from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sophia Besch. I'm a research fellow here at the CER. And today I'm in conversation with John Springford and Luigi Scazzieri. John is a research director here at the Center for European Reform and Luigi is a research fellow. The CER has just published a major new report titled Relaunching the EU. And John and Luigi have contributed to the report's chapter on migration and security policies. This is one of the policy areas that the report identifies as particularly urgently in need of reform. John, why is it so important that the EU in the future finds better ways to deal with migration? Well, one of the most obvious reasons is that the migration crisis so far has been a huge existential threat to the EU as a whole. The Schengen system of open borders has been temporarily closed because of the sheer number of people. And the fact that the EU is surrounded by some pretty unstable countries in North Africa and, in, and the Middle East means that it needs to have mechanisms to deal with sudden flows of refugees and migrants. So. Luigi, could you run us through a little bit what the EU has been doing so far since the beginning of the migration crisis? What has been its strategy? Well, so initially the EU was uh, very much in crisis management mode, as it was, one could say, overwhelmed by the numbers of arrivals. So uh, it, it tried to, on one hand, share the burden between member states implementing a relocation mechanism to redistribute arrivals uh, from Greece and Italy and at the same time closing the Balkan route, striking a deal with Turkey. However, there was uh, quite a bit of trouble in implementing the relocation mechanism, and there have also been some concerns surrounding the deal with Turkey relating to human rights. So what are your proposals then? What more can the EU do to manage migration, John? Perhaps the first thing is to say we're not talking about huge numbers of people in comparison to the EU's overall population, at least in terms of the technical ability of the EU to be able to absorb these flows of people. We're not talking about something which is actually very difficult for a rich continent to do. But because of the political problems, the fact that we've had rising populism in Central Europe, we've had a pretty far-right party in Austria almost being the largest party in parliamentary elections there, then it seems as though the only thing that is really going to work in terms of managing this is to do deals with third countries and to work more closely with them to try and prevent the kind of irregular flows of migration across borders which are after all quite dangerous particularly when they reach the Mediterranean Sea. This is the area of policy that the EU is going to pursue for want essentially of any kind of political agreement about distributing and taking in asylum seekers and economic migrants across the EU. There are some big problems though with doing these kinds of deals. One is you're dealing with states which quite often don't have a great record for human rights when it comes to dealing with migrants on their territory. A lot of these countries are so-called countries of transit where a lot of people are from other countries and they don't necessarily want them in their territory either. Another is that the EU's proposed solutions, which are trying to have more agreements on returns, trying to improve material conditions in third countries, potentially providing more aid as an inducement for these countries to manage their borders better, and most radically setting up screening centres in countries outside Europe in which the EU or member states might be able to make decisions about asylum and then bring those people into the EU who are most successful. There are problems with all of these different solutions, which perhaps we can go into in more detail. Yeah, I'd like to unpack these three options, I think. And Luigi, if you could start by talking a bit more about the return arrangements we John mentioned, ordering citizens to leave the EU when asylum cannot be granted has not been that easy, has it? 
No, not at all. In fact, the, the use current record in terms of returns is not great. The data we have points to the fact that in 2016, almost half a million people were ordered to leave the, the EU, but less than half were actually returned. This is quite often due to the fact that people uh, would go underground or somehow disappear or even before being issued with a return order, so as soon as they suspect that their asylum application has failed. So to counteract this, the EU and individual member states have tried to strike return agreements with, with third countries, especially with countries that are the source of large numbers of migrants, but with very low rates of asylum uh, acceptance. So, for instance, Nigeria. However, there are several issues, as John has mentioned, with striking readmission agreements. The first one is really that third countries are very often unwilling to strike these deals because this would mean a reduction in remittances and quite often they are rather dependent on remittances. So for instance, in the case of Nigeria, remittances from the EU alone make up uh, around 1.5% of GDP, quite a substantial share. So that's the money that is sent back to the countries of origin. It's a substantial uh, amount of money, which, uh, of course, uh, countries are worried of losing should they sign up to a readmission agreement, which could potentially mean a lot of their citizens being sent back. And, and so far, in, in the readmission deals that the EU has struck, many of them have been with countries in the Western Balkans where the EU would use the leverage provided by accession as an inducement. However, this is much, much more difficult with countries that are currently on the EU's uh, list. Because accession is not, it an, is not an option. So the EU really, we think, could be looking at uh, other sets of incentives in order to encourage countries to sign up to deals, opening up legal channels of migration through visa programs, scholarships, work permits as well as, in some cases, uh, EU funds, although, of course, the scale of such funds would have to be proportionate to the remittances lost. But the question is, and John might want to go into this a bit more, that the EU itself is not best placed often to sign these readmission agreements because it cannot really open up legal routes. Yeah, I mean, the problem that the EU faces when trying to negotiate these deals with third countries is that the EU isn't a single state like the United States, where the federal government has the power to decide who gets in and who doesn't. Most migration and asylum policy is still determined at the level of the member state. So the readmission agreements that the EU is trying to strike, um, it's quite difficult for them to do the kind of positive incentives of opening up legal routes to migration, because this is at the level of the member state, while the returns agreement if the EU is negotiating, it is being conducted at the level of the EU. So a lot of countries, particularly ones that are fairly hostile to immigration now in Central Europe, but also France, Italy, you know, they're not particularly willing to say to the Commission, yeah, you go and offer Nigeria X number of scholarships and work visas in order to encourage Nigeria to accept a readmission agreement. So... What can the EU do in trying to help member states to set up these kind of asylum systems that are able to make decisions more quickly? I mean, the reforms that have been made to the EU's incipient asylum system have been fairly modest so far. Where a frontline state has got into a fair amount of difficulty, has just been overwhelmed, as it has with Greece, then the European Asylum Support Office, which is a new organisation, has moved in with support in terms of more officials and experts, in terms of more financing, in terms of help setting up a lot of the IT systems. But the difficulty is that if asylum laws are essentially set at the level of the member state, then it's not as though you can just take some French specialist on asylum processing, take them over to Greece and then put them to work. It's got to be Greek people who know Greek laws. 
So the only way really that you're going to end up with a fully federalised asylum system is for asylum law essentially to be federalised at the EU level. So let's move to the second EU option that you talked about in the beginning, which was to improve the conditions in third countries themselves. Luigi, shall we start with the, the short-term picture, really the foreign policy aspect of this? What can the EU do to improve the conditions in a country like Libya, for example? Yes, so in a country like Libya, the EU has tried to work through international organizations such as UNHCR. The EU itself is not as much on the ground. So what the EU can do, what it probably should do in the short term, is to improve the humanitarian conditions in the reception centers in Libya where migrants are hosted by the Libyan authorities. Now, it can do this by providing funds to humanitarian organizations as well as by re-establishing its presence in Libya. Now, the first step in doing this would be to reopen the EU delegation to Libya, something which could be happening quite soon, hopefully. And at the same time, as we know, Libya has now been in a state of a near-civil war since uh, the middle of 2014. So the EU has led the mediation efforts to uh, strike a, a deal between different rival governments, the UN-backed government in Tripoli, as well as the House of Representatives and Haftar in the east of the country. And it would be a precondition to a sustainable solution to migration from Libya is a peace deal in the country, putting these different factions together, holding presidential elections, putting Libya back together, essentially. And of course, Libya is not the only one of these countries that present a challenge from this perspective. The EU should uh, also very much be looking at countries that host uh, large numbers of refugees, such as Turkey, such as Lebanon. All of these are uh, hotspots which could potentially lead to flows of refugees into the EU. So for instance, if Turkey were to crack down or to make life more difficult for Syrian refugees, this would then have repercussions on a country like Greece, which would receive uh, an increased number of flows. And what about the long-term picture? How can the EU reduce irregular migration in the long run? What role is there, for example, for development aid to help stabilize countries that the migrants flee from, John? There's a lot of talk about using development aid to try and raise the levels of income of living standards in a lot of poorer countries in Africa in order to try and reduce the incentives of people to migrate to Europe. So, you know, Angela Merkel has talked about a new Marshall Plan for Africa. There's been lots of talk of migration partnerships where the quid pro quo for countries tightening their borders is more development aid. The problem with this is that, well, there are two problems. The first one is that the challenge of raising sustainably the growth rate of countries using development aid is very big. The jury is still out on whether that works. The main function of development aid is poverty reduction, and that's good and necessary. But in terms of narrowing the gap between poor countries and rich ones, that's an awful lot to do with the quality of institutions, the quality of regulation, the rule of law, these things which other countries only have weak control over, really. The other problem is that as poorer countries get richer, then the number of people who emigrate grows. It doesn't fall. The reason for that is that more people can afford an air flight. More people are better educated, so they might well be able to get an education place in a richer country. So you actually see the proportion of emigrants as a country gets richer growing before it reaches a, a certain level of income, usually about seven or eight thousand dollars per person, and then it starts to fall again. A lot of African countries have a GDP per capita of much less than that. That doesn't mean to say that development aid shouldn't be a part of this. Development aid can help the EU to convince countries to have better border management. It can also be used to convince them to look after migrants in a much more humane manner.
it's also not necessarily a bad thing if development aid raises levels of national income. You have more educated young people. There's no reason why, at least on a technical level, the EU can't say that we're going to have loads more legal routes for migration for a lot of these people, which we need because we've got an ageing population anyway. We just really don't want people to be travelling across the Sahara and then over the Mediterranean because it's too dangerous and it's too destabilising to our politics. Right. So finally, let's talk about the idea of externalizing the screening of migrants to outside of the EU's territory. Uh, so the EU would like to set up processing centers in some transit countries where it could determine the legal status of migrants before they make this potentially dangerous way to Europe. Is that right? And is that a good idea, really? Yeah, so the idea of external processing is one which has been floated around uh, for a while. It's essentially looking to the Australian model and trying to replicate it in a EU context. So Australia intercepts people coming to, to its shores, processes their applications overseas, and then those whose applications are successful are resettled in Australia. Others are returned to their home countries. So this is not specifically the model which the EU would be looking to implement. It's looking at two slightly different uh, models. One of them is centres ran Uh, by, by UNHCR and other humanitarian organizations in third countries, which would, in, in a sense, sift applications. Unfortunately, this it wouldn't be the correct solution for the kind of mixed flows that we're seeing from the central Mediterranean route, because there would be humanitarian organizations don't detain people, and there would be no incentive for economic migrants to actually go into these camps. Also, these centers wouldn't actually be granting asylum, because they would not be staffed by uh, EU personnel. The second option, where the EU itself would run centres, also seems uh, slightly unrealistic in the current context, given that the EU has no uh, common asylum system at the moment. So there is no single set of rules on what grounds a person could be granted asylum. In fact, progress towards uh, reform of the existing asylum system has been rather slow. And also, if an individual were granted asylum, it's unclear in which EU member state they could then be resettled, because the EU has been unable to implement the relocation mechanism in the past. Some countries are unwilling to to accept any refugees. So it, it's all very politically touchy at the moment. But perhaps a way forward could be um, that of individual member states processing applications. Yeah, the only way that I can see this working is for an individual member state, take France, I mean, Macron's been talking about this, teaming up with the Niger government, having a detention centre there, essentially rounding up migrants um, and asylum seekers, hosting them in those detention centres, having French asylum officials there processing their asylum applications, And those who get in, get in, and those who don't, get sent home. There are obviously big questions about whether this is something which France would be willing to get involved in, given the humanitarian concerns, given they're teaming up with governments who aren't necessarily going to detain these people in good conditions, and also governments who probably aren't going to be willing to allow France, the ex-colonial power, to come and essentially run an arm of their state in, the, in, in their country. I have to say that I'm very sceptical about offshore processing in general, I think I think the EU would be much better off focusing on readmissions, aid, border control, legal routes for migration as, as the most sensible way to try and manage these flows. John Springford, Luigi Scazzieri, thank you very much. The CIA report on relaunching the EU is now online on the CIA website and there are two more podcasts in which we talk about the recommendations of this report. You may have already listened to the conversation I have had with Charles Grant, director of the CIA, about his proposals for a new European architecture. And if you have not, I recommend you do. He outlines the vision for a more flexible EU that works for all its members. And you can also listen to a conversation with Christian Odendahl, the CIA's chief economist who contributed to the report's chapter on the reform of the Eurozone. If you enjoy listening to the CER podcast, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find us. 
And you can also let us know what you think on Twitter at CER underscore EU.